He is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I went through the Psalms um, a day or two ago, just looking at who he is. My hope, my portion, my strong tower, my ever-present help in trouble, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my peace, my refuge, my strength, the strength of my heart, my righteousness, my shield, my stronghold, my helper, my light, saviour, healer, faithful God, my Lord, my incomparable worker of wonders, my living God, my king, security, my guide even to the end, my shining one, my unfailing lover, my rest, refiner, father, burden bearer, my power, my judge, my redeemer, my sustainer and feeder, my son, my compassionate and gracious God, my forgiving God, my holy God, creator, my victory, the one who is greater than all gods. I feel like today is a bit like a camera. I'll go up here because I'm short. Um, it's, it's a camera that starts the pictures in wide angle. And this camera is going to go from wide angle and it's going to start focusing in coming out of wide angle and starting to focus in and going into a telescopic mode. And it's going to focus in on Christ. And this picture is going to take us to Christ and into Christ and the workings of Christ as he reveals himself in us and forms himself in us. And it doesn't end there. It goes through and the vision ends at his throne. And the picture is his precious bride being presented to Christ on his throne. Psalm 19, 1 to 6, the heavens, this is the wide angle. Everyone can see this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Don't you love this language? It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. Isn't it beautiful that he makes it plain to every human being who he is, his power and his divine nature, through the wonder of what he's made? And how beautiful it is that 
as we see Jesus, his very son, he brings those qualities into focus. So what Jesus has done and who he is brings his divine nature and his power within reach. It's no longer there. He's here walking on earth as a human being. And through this, the journey for us is having Christ revealed to and in us. And that's always been his plan, that he would build his church by on the revelation of Christ. So I want to come in to, um, to see this. We've got the wide angle, we're focusing in. I want to go straight into a day and a night in the life of Jesus. And this is found in all four Gospels. Not the full account of the day, but definite parts of it. And in Matthew 14, you get the full day um, and night. And I just want to share some things that um, he started to show me because this is one heck of a day. So if we look at um, Matthew 14, and I'm, I'm going to pop into some of the other um, um, Gospels that are paralleling it for various things. We, we've got a situation where... John the Baptist has just been beheaded, and I don't know whether you know the story, but it was a real gruesome, well, any beheading's gruesome, isn't it? But we've got, John the Baptist has been in prison since Jesus basically came out of the desert, and he is Jesus's cousin, okay, and this situation happened, John challenged Herod about the relationship he had just taken up with his brother's wife. And John said, that's not right. It's not lawful for you to do that. And um, Herod wasn't, um, he actually didn't want to do anything with John because he kind of had a bit of fear of God in there somewhere. But his wife, this new wife, um, Herodias, had no such thing. And so it turned out that there was this big party and he was showing off all his um, lovely things to the, the powers that be around him. And he got Herodias's daughter to dance um, for these guys and he was very pleased with it and said, um, I will give you everything, anything you ask up to half your, half my kingdom. So the daughter goes trotting off to her mum and says, what shall I ask for? And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. What a gruesome woman. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this happens. 
And Herod's put in this position, and because of the guests and everything, he's not, and because he's promised, he doesn't dare stand up to it. So this has all played out, this dramatic um, and obviously well-known execution. And John's disciples we see in, in Matthew 14. Um, we pick it up in, in verse 11. John's disciples went and got his body and they buried the body. And then they went and told Jesus. So Jesus' day in this account starts off with this news. Um, Jesus' response is interesting. He heard what had happened. This is verse 13. Um, And he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. His intent was to be alone. And then something happened. (laughs) That's a fairly big thing to cope with in a day anyway, isn't it? I just want you to see what what is happening and how Jesus is responding. Because I often just read them as separate little things that happened, you know? And I don't think of, like, if I were in that situation, would I be responding like this? And why is he responding the way he is? So anyway, what happens next? Hearing of this, that Jesus has taken off to a solitary place, the crowds followed him, and they went on foot. So he's in a boat. And then you hear this beautiful thing. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. So we have this ministry to a large crowd. And then we go into yet something else. So he's got them in this solitary place, huge big crowd. He's teaching them, he's healing them. And then we have the unfolding of what we know as the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and I, I want to pop over into John, John's account of this, 6, 5 to 11. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He only asked this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough food for each one to have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And we know the story. He took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Interesting, isn't it? It's like he's purposely using an impossible situation 
to reveal something. Yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, in impossible situations, the first thing I do is what Philip did. Oh, how can we make this work? Car breaks down, washing machine stuffed. How can we make this work? So Philip, the adult, you know, is the one that I tend to um, think I'd be most like. He says, well, it's going to take this much, and that'll only give everyone a bite, you know, because God's not really big enough to give anybody more than a bite. Wrong. And yet you have a child who simply comes and gives what they've been given, all of it. They're not doing the maths. They're not seeing limit. They're seeing Jesus. And they're saying, this is what I have. Have it. And that's how Jesus reveals that the kingdom of God is not mingy. It's not about a bite. Didn't you notice that everyone had as much as they wanted? So the kingdom of God provision always is above and beyond bountiful. And it comes from that limitless trust in him. The surrendering of the little. This is all I have. But you can have all I have. Beautiful. These are some of the lessons he's been teaching me over the wee while and I'll it's been quite needful. <laughs> the, the, the amazing thing is, we have this is just one of the outworkings of this day. And we often um, read it, and I know I've read it, and I'm just thinking about the amazing miracle that this is, that that he has been able to feed 5,000. That's just the men, you know, could be 10, 15,000 if you count the women and the children with this offering. But always it seems to me that there is more. But wait, there's more. There's this physical presentation and representation of something but actually Jesus is revealing something about himself. And in the feeding of the 5,000, you, again, in John 6 is the one where you get, get what he's revealing. Remember he goes on to say in the same chapter, 32, 35, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is one is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Here it is. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger 
and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So he wasn't there to teach the crowd that he will supply just their physical needs. He was there to reveal himself as the very substance of life, the bread of life. Isn't that amazing? So roll it back, this impossible situation that he's saying, okay, Philip, what are we going to do? Half a year's wages, such a sacrifice. Oh, oh will, will we make the sacrifice? Will, will you give people a bite? No, 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 no. Bear with me in the impossible situation. Bear with me at that impenetrable wall that you see no way through. Bear with me, walk with me, and let me show you who I am there. Beautiful, isn't it? All in his day. Then we get the storm. (laughs) So the crowds are there and Jesus dismisses his disciples and say, you take the boat off. And then he speaks to the crowd, dismisses them, and then he goes up the mountain to pray. That's what he intended to do at the beginning of the day, wasn't it? Yeah, going to a solitary place. So he's up there, and they're out in the boat. And and there's yet more to come. (laughs) And is he thinking, I better not do this one just now because the wind's getting up a bit. Um, I better leave this lesson till a bit later. Or actually, better... Catch a ride. Hey, guys, can you wait for me? Um, You need to come pick me up? He's not even thinking like that. Because to Jesus, storms are not something that you navigate around. It doesn't change his direction. It doesn't change who he is. He just is who he is in the storm. Profound. Profound. When I think of the way that I can react to storms. It's not always been like that. So we have him um, coming out shortly before dawn, and I'm in Mark, just for one little verse, Mark 46. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass them by. That's why I know he wasn't trying to hitch a ride. He did not need the disciples. The disciples needed him. He was demonstrating the life of God. That strong winds and rough waters don't change that life one little bit. He is Lord. See how he's revealing who he is in the very place that we need him. Then we've got in the Matthew 14 account, we've got the story of Peter walking out on the water. It's the only, only gospel that speaks of this. And, um, really interesting because 
he comes walking out to them on the lake and the disciples saw him and they're terrified and they say, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And it's occurred to me, I wonder if sometimes we don't recognize Jesus walking out to us when we're buffeted by storms. We actually recognize him. If we maybe misinterpret things, I know I have. You know, why is this happening? What have I done wrong that this is happening? God can't be blessing me. Jesus was walking in that place. He is faithful and will never leave us nor forsake us. A storm doesn't mean the absence of God. Here he is. He immediately says, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then we have the story of Peter saying, well, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. And so Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. And we can stop there and that's great. He's seen that Jesus is doing something that is impossible. And because he sees who Jesus is, he says, if you're doing it, I can do it. And God has started to do something on the inside of me to say, Sandra, if I can do it, you can do it. It's not necessarily about walking on the water, but the, this is an illustration of something. You can walk places where it's humanly impossible to walk in your own strength. It is possible because I am doing it. There is a key, though, and the key we see illustrated in what happened next because we all know it. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Focus off. As soon as he's gazing at Christ, he's seeing Christ for who he is. He can do all things. And that empowers him to step out and I'm going. And then he suddenly, oh, uh, this shouldn't be happening. I've been there. I've been in a storm where one thing after another, wham, 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 wham. Ever know that sort of situation in life? I'm sure we do. It happens to everybody. You know, the washing machine dies. Then someone has a car crash and then there's another and there's another and there's another. You know, and it's like, Whoa, what's happening? Is this a job thing, God? What's going on? What's next? You know, oh, the, what's wrong with the dog now? You know, and it's like you start looking at the elements of the storm and suddenly you can't see Christ anymore because you feel like you've fallen flat 
on your face in the mud and all you can see is the mud. You know? I've been there. Round one. August, September this year. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, the amazing thing is, he called out, Lord, help me. And there he was. Jesus pulled him out straight away. When I've come to that realization, my goodness, I've taken my eyes off him and I'm, I've cried out, God, help me. You know, I've seen Father pick me up and he was so gentle. Just picked me up and brushed me down. And then he put his, his hand under my chin and said, look in my eyes. And I'm home. I'm home. Because in him is everything, is my whole sustaining source. So I'm, you know, when I looked at Peter doing his thing, I was sort of thinking, why, why is that even included? You know, is this just to say that, you know, we're a bit silly and only Jesus can do things like that? Or was there something more? And I, for me, I felt it was like the Lord saying, I can. You know, what, how I walk is how you can walk. If you keep your eyes on me, that's all. You just have to keep your eyes on me. <laughs> and, um, so this outworking that happened, I've, I've given this this day and night in the in the life of Jesus and how he how he did what he did is beyond what any human being can just do in their natural with all the things that were going on right totally but in it all are multitudes of examples of life coming revelation coming through the very things that were could potentially have knocked people out. And th- this is what I've found now into testimony. So round one, there was a whole lot of stuff going on. And he, he started making me um, just hunger for to see how did how did Jesus respond in these storms? You know, they're um, a picture of what happens in life, you know? And I see Jesus, he's asleep in a boat in a storm. What is that? Yeah, everyone's freaking out and Jesus is asleep in a boat. And what what is he what is he drawing me into of him that he can be my peace and calm no matter what that he can reveal himself as that in me and become in me this stillness no matter what is coming at me and 
So this has been this has been the the journey. The Jesus sleep in the boat, by the way, that's Matthew eight, Luke eight, Mark four. With um, the beginning of October, we had a whole new series of events sort of start to unfold. And beautifully, like the preparation, the falling flat on my face, the crying out, the seeing his face, and and being reminded in this this very real way, that my strength is only in him and that in that that in keeping my eyes firmly fixed on him is the way to do the walking through the things that I wouldn't be able to walk through otherwise yeah um so come october as i said a whole lot of other things started to happen and um most of you will know that Chris hasn't been well for he's back there um, since about then. Um, in fact, it was a recurrence of something that he'd gone through for two or three months at the beginning of the year, and had been treated for, and you know, had been misdiagnosed and all sorts of carry on. Um, anyway, it came back with a vengeance in October, and he was in agony. And um, he was there was he was bleeding and he was having to get up at night you know eight to ten times a night and and was practically unable to walk certainly wasn't able to work for quite some time and um, we didn't know what it was really um, because this was a recurrence of something. And it didn't seem to be responding to anything. We were praying. Obviously, we were praying that God would take it away. Um, and this seemed to be sustained, sustained. And at the same time, um, around about this time, um, our um, niece was going through, you know, a, a much more aggressive progression of the cancers that she's had long term because she was hitting puberty and they were undergoing treatment and the treatment for one thing was aggravating another and making her go blind and there was all this stuff happening. Same sort of time his sister was diagnosed with um, cancer and needed immediate and drastic uh, surgery. Um, in the middle of all this time, work decided to do a restructure and and said that, you know, four jobs are going to have to go. And there was a very, very real possibility. I mean, Chris had been off work um, far more days than he had sick leave. They they had been very good to him, but it wasn't because he was just using up his sick leave. Um, you know, and there were young ones around that were eager to get in there. Very real possibility that he was going to lose his job. So all this happening at the same time. And, you know, in that... <laughs> I now knew him as my peace because of what he'd shown me. And I'm not talking about just putting a brave face on. 
because, you know, that's something that's sort of plastered on from outside and you're in this inner turmoil, but, you know, you don't show it to anybody. This, this, this was inside that when the news of these things was coming, um, there was no fear in my heart. You know, that's not me, that's him. Incredible. God had spoken very clearly to Chris about, and I'm not going to nick his testimony, you'll hear it sometime, but he had actually spoken very clearly about leading him through the process. And that was confirmed as the elders prayed for him. Um, and he was undergoing different procedures and stuff, um, trying to investigate what was going on. And the weekend before one of these, um, God started talking to me about the house built on the rock and the house built on sand. And that's uh, Matthew 7. Funny, isn't it? Storms all the time. Oh, boy. So we know the story, you know, that... Um, but I want to just read it because he, he made me read it and then reread it. 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, now I can't go into this at the moment, but very significant if you look at the words that he's speaking to. I'm not going to talk about that now, but you can go and dig. Um, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and bit against the house. Battered is in one translation. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, notice they both hear the words, interesting, isn't it? But does not put them into practices like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down... The streams rose, the winds blew and bet or battered against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what God was saying to me is, read it again, read it again. Do you notice something about what the both of the houses endured? Ah, the same thing. And he said to me, do not be surprised at the storms. Being in Christ did not somehow protect me from the storms of life. But he said, there's a big difference. Because the foundation is the forming of who we are on the inside. And if Christ, it's not just a believing in Christ out there somewhere. It's this revelation of him deep on the inside that has come as we've surrendered ourselves and that word is active and alive in forming Christ in us. That's the foundation that stands. That's the foundation that says, I'm standing here not because I'm a strong house. I'm standing here purely and simply because Christ is formed in me. Not because I've formed him in me, 
but because he has formed himself in me. And I have simply surrendered to that. And that is an ongoing process. I'm not fully formed. I'm sure there's bits of my house that would probably come crashing down. I'm still a work in progress. But I do know that the only way that I'm not going to come down with a great crash is by learning the lessons on the way and by allowing him to show who he is. Allowing him to to lead me beyond the situation, beyond the impossibility here, and lift my eyes to him walking in that situation, revealing who he is in it. Yeah? So in this previous stuff, he was revealing himself as the one who could be asleep in a storm who could be at peace in a storm. And so that was what he wanted me, and I was saying, yes, I want that, I want that. Do you know what I mean? So he forms that in me, and now I find it's in me. It's a beautiful thing. Isn't this a beautiful thing? So the camera lens has come from this wide angle. The glory is displayed in his creation. It's coming in and it's focusing in on Christ. And as our hearts are drawn to focus and to seek after him, and he's revealing himself, he forms himself in us and transforms us and prepares us for that final, that final thing. On the, so this was the weekend, show me about the house built on the rock. Don't be surprised at the storms. Monday we go in and this investigation showed up that there was a tumour in um, Chris's bladder. Um, now they weren't sure what it was, didn't think it was cancer, but whatever. Uh, we need to do a biopsy quickly and, and there's stories amongst all this because Things were meant to drag out had they gone according to the dates that were made available to us. It would have dragged out for months, and I mean months. And there was just a little bit of knocking and a and coming into this incredible grace. So two weeks after, he was booked in to have a biopsy. So when all this happened, um, it turned out that it eventuated that when they went in, he had to have a GA and everything, um, to do a biopsy. Um, various things became very clear in the physical that they could actually scrape away most of the, the tumour at the time. So it became a resection, not a biopsy, um, which was designed to bring some sort of relief. Um, we're still waiting for the relief. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they had to scrape right back to the muscle wall, you know, a fair bit of his bladder. And um, amazing how God can regenerate things, isn't it? Incredible, you know. But it doesn't just happen overnight. You know, the, if you've scraped back everything, it's got to grow from the edges in. So, you know, we're looking at a good three, four months before um, hopefully we will we will see some normality. Um 
And, you know, it's, it's unfinished yet, but we are just trusting God and walking with him, holding on to him. Um, but, you know, in all this, we didn't know what it was. Um, and there was a sense I felt for me that I needed to release Chris, no matter what the end was, you know? The, I didn't go dwelling on what if this is terminal, what if da-da-da-da-da. Um, it was the same with the job, you know, so, you know, I, I, our darling boys, you know, well, what will you do? Will you sell a house? Well, if we need to sell a house, we sell a house. I'm not going to go plan down that road. We don't know. Um, but there was this piece. Okay, well, if it comes to selling the house, we sell the house, you know? It, it's like, and this is, you, those of you who knew me six, eight years ago, that's not me. It's like panic stations with anything like this, you know? So, um, but anyway, one amazing, beautiful, beautiful thing happened 10 minutes before we left for that, that surgery, the thing that became the resection. He got a phone from, phone call from his work. You still have a job. Oh, I didn't realize how relieved I would feel, but <laughs> I did. You know, what a wonderful thing. And of course, he was grieving because he knew the people, a small group of people, you know. And he knows the people that lost their jobs and it's very, very difficult. Um, but you know, God had provided that. So, so that wasn't part of the journey that, that we had to walk, but it's okay. <laughs> You know, so, you know, my journal at the time I was just reading last night, have such an abiding presence of Christ in this. He is our rock in everywhere away. And even as I look forward, which I'm not doing much, to what could be coming, I have no fear in my heart. And that's my honest testimony. I'm not making that up just because it sounds good, you know. Um, this is who Christ is and who he is for us um, as his children. He spoke to me um, while we were in, while I was waiting for Chris in, in hospital um, about Lazarus. You know, you reminded me of that scripture that said, you know, this, this sickness will not end in death. And I was, Where that is, yeah, okay, I'm going to read. And that's all in, in John 11, and it wasn't so much that, you know, he's saying, this is a promise, hold on to it. It was just, let me show you something about this situation. So here we have Lazarus, and the sisters send, you know the story, they send word to Jesus, you know, the one who you love is dying, it was sick. Um, and they're expecting immediate response, you know, our timing. Thank you, Lord. Uh, would be now or yesterday, um, and and Jesus purposely doesn't go, you know. And so I was looking at all that. Okay, release. This is your time in God. Um, and then it was really interesting. This is a bit that really confused me when he was talking in verse nine about going to Judea. He decided to go there now, and when he was asked why he was going back to Judea where the Jews had tried to stone him, he talks about walking in daylight and not stumbling. 
rather than walking at night and stumbling. And I'll say, why is that in there, you know? And it was like he just dropped in my spirit. You know, Sandra, in the face of adversity and opposition, we need to continue to walk in the light, in his ways, not in fear and hiddenness, knowing that circumstances do not dictate or change the manner in which we walk in the kingdom of God. didn't change Jesus' manner. We walk in the light as he is in the light always, no matter what the cost. In fact, it's when we shrink back that we stumble because we no longer have our source, our light. We're now making our own way and trusting our own way through. The reason that Jesus was going back to Judea, I love this, was not simply because of Lazarus. He says in verse 4, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So we're looking for a revelation of Christ. Just as the feeding of the 5,000 was part of the unveiling of Jesus as the bread of life from heaven, the very substance and source for us, So the raising of Lazarus was a physical representation of the revelation of Jesus that we see in verse 25 of chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that beautiful? The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So this is who I found him to be. This is how I found him to work. In the situations that are hopeless, Mary and Martha, hopeless. They have shut the door. But it's not just about that, because Lazarus eventually died again, didn't he? There was something more, something more that was eternal and would outlast the life of Lazarus that Jesus was doing at that time. He was revealing who he is for us now and in the future, that he is our life. He, Just as he is our bread and our sustenance and our source, he is our life. And out of him is all life that is life. Beautiful, beautiful. So now I'm looking for him in the storm, you know, I'm looking for what is it he is showing? What is he revealing? What is he wanting to build that's going to outlast all these temporary things that come and go? I'm not going to... It's like he's taught me, don't react against storms. Don't get all uptight and think, I must be coming under attack or I must be doing something wrong. Follow my spirit. I will tell you if you're doing something wrong. You know, follow me, keep your eyes on me, walk in this close, abiding, connected day by day, 24-7 relationship with me, and I will be there. And I will reveal myself, and I will form myself in you. And the forming of me in you, the foundation, that foundation will stand. That will stand no matter what hits you. And at the final day, it's going to stand. Beautiful, beautiful. So 
I just want to thank you for listening to this. I want to just end with a song that you're going to listen to if you like, you, you want to sing, you can sing it. Um, and the first two verses I read out at the beginning. And to me, the song is that camera lens, that wide angle. He is beautiful. He has declared his glory. He is beautiful as we focus on Christ and what he has done and who he is. And then we look beyond at what is coming and we cry, he is beautiful. And I just pray that it will really bless you, it will encourage you, and it will allow your spirit to well up, as mine does more today than it did two months ago, in gratitude and love and longing and, and just loving God for who he is, not who, what he does for me. Just loving him. He is beautiful. Can we just play that? That'd be great. Thanks, guys. It's
Thanks, Sandra. Thank you, Father. Thank you for, thank you for testimony. Living testimony. Father, our, our hope, our prayer as elders for this community is that we're found in the words of that song that when we enter into you, we're found called as your bride. Father, we know you choose your bride. Our part is to humble ourselves before you and allow you to do that beautiful work within us. Where you say you wash your bride with your word. Then Father, I pray that the living word is washing your dear ones today. And encourage us all to pursue him with all our heart, with all our might, with all our strength, to love him beyond ourselves and to rest in him, to find the living testimony that Chris and Sandra are finding in him. So we bless you and we thank you for an opportunity to gather together this morning. Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your power, for your spirit resting on us. And we bless you for the rest of the day that we might continue to walk knowing you and walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray.